This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We're in a series, uh, for those of you who are guests, we're in a series we're doing this summer, um, looking at some things, some sayings, some beliefs that people have that maybe they think are found in the Bible, maybe not. We've talked about such things as uh, we began the series with cleanliness is next to godliness. You're supposed to respond to that. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, not the Bible. Um, uh, Tom did one last Sunday. We're all God's children. Not in the Bible. Uh, so some things like that. Today we're, we're going to do one. Uh, our, our message today says, well, the Bible's just another book. And that was kind of weak. All right. Maybe they'll do better at 11. I don't know, but have more caffeine in them. Uh, you know, this weekend, and I, I was one uh, that was out there last night watching the fireworks. By the way, if you did not, if you didn't get in town or whatever, see the fireworks, they're doing them in Manteo tonight. All right. Just to let you know, they canceled theirs last night, postponed it till tonight. Uh, so this weekend's all about celebrating. Um, our country's birth, our annual American hoopla can complete with cookouts and the beach and crazy hot weather and fireworks and Independence Day, the 4th of July is our nation's birthday, commemorating the signing of the founding document, declaring our forefathers' intention to be liberated from the reign of a tyrant across the sea. The beginning of the second paragraph of that document reads these words, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I hope those are familiar words to you. Mr. Jefferson, who penned those words, was given the job of writing out this declaration. He was a Virginian statesman and educator and intellect, later became president. Mr. Jefferson is credited with being the source of much, if not all, of that text. He used a phrase in there where he said, self-evident truths. Now, Jefferson, if you know anything about history, you know anything about Thomas Jefferson, he's not noted for being a man of fervent Christian faith. Some would say he wasn't a Christian at all. And that may be well true, I am not sure, but Jefferson understood some things. First of all, he understood we're here because of a creator, capital C, creator. He knew that. He did believe in self-evident truths. What are those? Those are natural laws or absolutes that are part and parcel to humanity's existence. Without them, it would be total chaos in this world. Indeed, he he attributed this natural law, these self-evident truths to the creator. God instilled these in us. They're things that every society, every culture understands. And he said the declarations, he said all these things come from God. He was involved in our founding. And one such truth that all men are created equal is that all men are created equal in the eyes of the creator All men have the basic rights to life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Liberty was at the heart of the matter of the meeting of the Continental Congress made up of representatives from our 13 colonies. Liberty, meaning the freedom 
to live life independently of the dictates of a foreign government. That was the cause for the line they drew in the sand on July the 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia. And with the self-evident truth that no man should be treated less than any other man came certain unalienable rights that go along with that. They would spell those out, by the way, in the Bill of Rights that went along with our Constitution a few years later. But he said they're unalienable rights. That means they're rights that God gave, rights that should belong to all. So they went to war. that, That declaration essentially was saying to England, to Britain, we declare war on you. We're going to be free from you. They went to war to retrieve those rights, one of which was liberty, or may I say freedom. They understood that this basic natural law designed by Almighty God when he created this earth, they understood that these truths, this natural law is absolute truth. And that truth has a wonderful purpose. That truth says every man deserves the right of freedom. Every woman deserves the right of freedom, no matter what their background, their heritage, their education, their color, their creed. And it was really a profound statement, wasn't it? And its words are the birthday candles on the birthday, uh, on the birthday cake of these United States. It says very simply this. Please understand what it says. Truth These natural laws, this truth, these self-evident truths, truth delivers freedom. Truth brings liberty. And in the case of those patriots, the freedom was to cut the chains of tyranny and be an independent nation. And motivated by those truths and rights granted not by government, please get that, church. Those rights are not granted by government. They're granted by who? God, the creator. Motivated by that truth, they won that freedom, and here we are today. But Jefferson and Hancock and the signers of that paper were not the first to lay claim to that anchor. Nearly 1,700 years prior, an itinerant rabbi in Palestine said something very similar, and you've no doubt heard, if not read these words. What did he say? He said, the truth shall make you free. So this morning, I want us to be certain as to what truth Jesus of Nazareth was referring. There's this time in Jesus' life, right at the end of his life, when he stood before a man named Pilate, the Roman governor, who was a pagan, pagan meaning that Pilate did not believe in the God of the Bible. Jesus said these words to Pilate in John 18, 37, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to me. So countercultural as Jesus was, and let me say as Jesus is. He said, not only is there such a thing as truth, he says there is such a thing as the truth. Those were his words. Well, Pilate the Roman governor coming from a culture where truth was relative. By that I mean he came from a culture where people said, hey, you know what, different strokes for different folks, whatever floats your boat. 
where people said, well, your truth may not be my truth, but you've got to accept my truth because it may not be the same as your truth. So truth was relative. Where every philosophy was considered equal, he replied like so many do in our culture today in 2015. His response to Jesus was then a kind of a mocking way almost. He said, what is truth? What is truth? And with that, he challenged Jesus with the idea that no one can absolutely say that the, what the truth is. And of course, that is right now today the common misconception of our culture. The misconception is this. Truth is whatever you want it to be. We've swallowed that pill. If you go back to John 8.30... When Jesus said the truth will make you free, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, he said these words. The Bible tells us, John writes and says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue, listen, get this, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we might ask, well, free from what, Jesus? Free from the tyrant who rules our lives through sin. Free from the guilt that accompanies that sin. Free to be, listen, free to be exactly whom your creator made you to be. And don't miss it. Please don't, if this is all you get today, please don't miss this. The truth that can set men free is found according to Jesus in his word. Did you get that? That's where it's found. And that word will direct those who desire freedom. That word will take those who are seeking real freedom inside of their hearts and their lives. That will direct them to the creator who provides it. And so when we accept that word as truth, it becomes, this becomes my declaration of independence. Just one signature, by the way, was enough. There's no committee who signed it. The disciples didn't sign it. The leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel didn't sign it. He doesn't ask us as a church to sign it. Just one signature on that declaration is enough, and that is of the Savior who spoke it. And so now the world has to wrestle with something. And maybe you wrestle with this. I know a lot of Christians today, because I read your comments on Facebook and I have conversations with you, a lot of Christians today wrestle with what I'm about to say. Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, did he not? Jesus, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him, he made that claim. The only access to God, Jesus, who made those claims, who said the truth will make you free, Jesus rose from the dead after being dead for three days. All of the evidence that were brought into a courtroom would overwhelmingly prove his resurrection. I know there are stories of intellectuals like Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel are a couple of guys I think of who made it their mission early in life, were going to set out to disprove the resurrection, began to research it with all their effort, with all their passion to prove it wrong, and they ended up not only proving it right, but believing in Jesus as their Savior. So here's the dilemma the world faces today. Jesus rose from the dead. 
And his resurrection, one thing that it does, it does a lot of things, but one thing that the resurrection does and did was to validate everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did. You think about that for a moment. If he ever told one little lie, he would not have been resurrected from the dead. Why? Because he would not have been perfect. He would not have died on the cross for your sin or mine because he would have been a sinner just like us. If he did one, little, if he did one thing that was wrong according to God's will, He would not have been resurrected because it would have made him a sinner. And sinners, God's not going to raise him from the dead. So he must have spoken truth. There's no other rational conclusion when you think about the resurrection. That brings us to our subject this morning. Is the Bible then just another book? Plenty of people, most of who are just echoing what they heard or saw on a cable TV show or read on the internet. And we all know that everything on the internet is true. Um, they'll tell you that the Bible is a book written by men, therefore it must be full of errors and contradictions, and therefore it has to be untrustworthy. They'll say it might be a great book. It's a book, no doubt, full of wise and pithy sayings. But its human origins make it no greater than any other book. That's what plenty of people, many who seem to be, because they have a lot of letters after their names, seem to be perhaps intellectually superior to you and me. That's what they say to us. But here's what I want to know this morning. What does the one man who rose from the dead because he was sinlessly perfect, what does he have to say about the word of God? Do we trust Jesus? Well, here's some things that he had to say about God's word. If you're taking notes, this is number one. It is indestructible. It's indestructible. Lots of tyrants and enemies of the Bible have attempted to destroy it. Hitler tried to burn the Bibles from Europe. It was banned in the Soviet Union. It was banned in communist China. But it's amazing how its message continues to thrive in those places. You can't stamp it out. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away. We just did a series before this one on, on the end times. And, we, and Jesus, the Bible is very clear about heaven and earth passing away and God making a new heaven and earth. He said, until that day happens, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not the stroke of a letter, will pass from the law, meaning the word, until all things are accomplished. It's indestructible. Number two, its stories are not myth or fable, but they're real, according to Jesus. He believed in the miraculous. He believed in the unexplainable. He believed stories like the story of Jonah being swallowed by the fish and being in the belly of the fish for three days and then be vomited up on the shore to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. He believed that story. How do you know he believed it? Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man himself, speaking of his burial here, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jesus believed those hard, man, there's some stories in the Old Testament that kind of, wow, really? You think that really happened? Jesus did. Jesus did. Of course, he had an unfair advantage. He was there when they all happened. You know what I mean? He was the inspiration of much of that. Number three, it sets the standards for morals and civilization. There is no such thing as civilization without morals, by the way. The Bible sets the standards for those kinds of things. 
For example, the smallest unit of civilization is what? The family. That's the smallest unit of civilization. The family, that begins with marriage, and marriage is defined by Jesus as a man and a woman. How do you know that? Because he said so in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, what reason? Creation, how God designed it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two, the man and the woman, will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Jesus said the word of God sets the standard. Not a vote by the populace. Not a decree by any court in the land. I'm so glad to know that the Bible sets the standard for morals and civilization. Never changes. Number four, our response to the word of God determines our relationship with Christ. Now, here's where it gets a little sticky. What do you believe about the Bible? Listen to what Jesus said. Luke chapter 8, verse 21, he said, My mother and my brothers, in a spiritual sense he was speaking, are those who hear and do the word of God. Those who hear and do the word of God, he said, are part of my family. So your response to the word of God determines your relationship to the Lord Jesus. Do you get that? Let's turn that around the other way. If you do not accept the word of God, then you're not part of Jesus' family. How's that? Is that the opposite side of that coin? That's the negative side, if you will. You're not part of his family unless you not only hear it, but you put it into practice, according to Jesus. It's difficult to imagine how some people believe how they can believe they're in spiritual unity with God while they ignore, while they contradict, while they twist, or even outright reject the Bible. And that seems to be the current plague upon Christianity in this country these days. Number five, Jesus said, obedience to the word brings happiness. That's what Christ said. We talked about happiness a couple weeks ago. That was one of our messages in this series. But God wants me happy, right? Maybe, maybe not. But he says, if I believe in his word, it brings happiness to me. Luke eleven twenty eight. even more, those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. And the word blessed in the scripture, the Greek word for blessed is another word for they're happy. They're enjoying life. Even when life gets difficult, they're able to hang on and, and, and deal with it. Number six, he said about the Bible, it is truth. It is truth. One of the last things he did before he was arrested, the night before his crucifixion, after the, the Last Supper, the communion time with his disciples, the Bible said, then they went out to the Mount of Olives John records a prayer that Jesus prayed that night. Apparently, John was within earshot of Jesus. And he listened to this prayer, and he was able to write it down. And one of the things that Jesus, and he was praying, by the way, first of all, he prayed for those 11 men, because he knew what they were about to go through. But then he switches gears, and he said, not only these guys, but Lord, everybody who comes after them as my disciples. So he's praying for you and for me in this prayer. 
And one of the things that he said in this, this wonderful, we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus, one of the things he said there in John 17, in verse 17, he said about his disciples, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy by what? The truth. And so there would be no misunderstanding of what he meant. Certainly God understood, but he knew the guys were listening. Sanctify them by the truth. The pilot just is going to say to him the following, or that night, in the middle of the night, so what is truth? He wants to define that to them so they understand, so that we understand. He says, your word is truth. Set them apart by this. May this and their belief and their follow-up and their, and their action upon this, may it set them apart from everyone else in the world because it's truth. Now, there's much more that Jesus said about the word. There's a whole lot more in the Bible about the word of God that we just don't have time this morning to go into. I, I thought about, and, and I actually did, I did some research and I had a whole list of things evidences outside of the Bible that prove the Bible to be what it claims to be. I just don't have time this morning to do that. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you a link. So if you want to go and look some of those things up, they are fascinating, fascinating. But if this is what Jesus said about his word, these just these six points, he's saying to us today, this is not just another book. There's nothing like it in all the universe. So the question this morning is, all right, what does that mean to me? Let's, let me give you some application to what Jesus had to say. Number one, it tells me that it's believers, those who believe the Bible to be the word of God, are in the minority in this world. In the minority. See, when you say, and I think most of you, if you know anything about Nagshead Church, you know where we stand on this. We're hardcore on the Bible. People might call us Bible thumpers, and that's okay. Bible bangers, that's okay. They might give us some names like that, and that's all right because we understand what this book is and how, it, how its contents, its words can change our lives. If you understand what this book is, you need to understand that you're in the minority in this world. You need, to, you need to understand that you are separating yourself, as Jesus said you would be separate. You are separating yourself from most in our culture because it makes you different. And because the Bible dares to say, I mean from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible dares to say, Look in here, you'll find God and you'll find what he, how he expects you and me to behave because you believe the Bible says that you're going to be viewed by some in this world as exclusive. As, let me use the word that's thrown around so much today and whose meaning has been so redefined, you're going to be defined as intolerant. Listen, let me say this. If you're a Christian, I mean, you're really following Jesus, you're probably the most tolerant person in this world. You should be. Because you understand a whole lot more than everybody else in the world does about human nature. You understand who you were before you became a Christian. You understand grace. You understand mercy. You understand what salvation is all about. You understand that you have no right to look down your nose at anyone, especially those outside the family of God. 
So Christians are, should be, the most tolerant people of other beliefs and, and so forth in all the world. But we're viewed as intolerant because we may say, well, listen, we disagree with you on that. And in this culture in the last few years, to disagree somehow has become to me, you're a hater then, right? You disagree with me, so you hate me. Now, where, where is, who, who, any hockey fans? Don, I know you are. Don, you were a hockey player, all right? Or, or NASCAR, any NASCAR fans in here? Amen, brother. All right, NASCAR fans? Listen, you will not catch me watching a hockey game or a NASCAR race on TV. I know some of you just, you, my, your opinion of me just went through the floor. I, I, just, I just don't enjoy that at all. Cars going around and around in a circle. And when I get in the car, I want to go somewhere and get there and stop. And, and I don't want to, you know, that means I'm lost. I don't want to do that. Where's that exit again? And hockey, I just don't get hockey, okay? That's a Canadian thing, and I'm just, I don't, I don't get it. So I, if you say, but, but, but it's the greatest sport in all the world, I would say with you, I disagree. Now, I did not just say to you, and I hate your guts. You like hockey? I hate you. Because you might look at me and say, well, you like to watch World Cup soccer, don't you? Yes, I do. Oh, boy, is that stupid. What kind of game is that? You know, one to nothing is the best game in the whole world. How can that be fun? To disagree doesn't mean that we're haters, but you may be viewed as some as a hater. And it's, but here's the deal. Please get this, Christian. It has always been that way in this world. The deal that we're, we're struggling with here in this country is that we're just now starting to catch up with the rest of humanity in this. We're starting to realize and feel just a little tiny bit what it means to be a Christian in other places. We better learn how to deal with it. Jesus said in Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of me, he said. So your allegiance to Jesus, the Son of Man, means you accept his word. And if people are going to hate us, and they are, let's just grab a hold of that fact and realize it's the new reality. If people are going to hate us, let's be sure they hate us because of Jesus and his word, not because we become hateful. All right? Second thing we learn from Jesus about his word is that the word of God is not God. The Bible's not God. One of the dangers in, if I can use the term Christianity and use a broad spectrum, one of the dangers of, of those on the left is that they just say, well, it's full, you can't trust it, it's not complete, it's not trustworthy, it's not perfect, it's not infallible, it's not inerrant, so it's not really what a lot of people believe. That's on the left, they discount it. The danger on the extreme right of what we might call fundamentalism is that we begin to worship the Bible. Please understand, the Bible is not God. But having saying, said that, let me say this. Its words will give you the promises and the principles and the plan you need in every circumstance of life. It is inspired by God, therefore it is a perfect book. 
Just be careful not to idolize the book, even though it is perfect. Instead, instead of idolizing the book, what we should, should we do? We should worship its source. What is the source of the Bible? First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 2. Familiar words to us here. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, all scripture. Time out. Church, all means what? All. And that's all, all means. All scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means God breathed. Came from God. Is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, so that you and I may be complete, equipped for every good work. Then what Jesus told us about the word, how I apply to my life is this, number three, rightly understood, it builds up for good. If I understand the Bible, what it says, it builds up for good. Wrongly understood or misunderstood, maybe we should say, it tears down for evil. Again, to Timothy, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.15, do, do your best, Timothy. I'm talking to this younger man, Timothy, do your best. He's leading church and helping them work through difficulties, do your best to present yourself as to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2 in your Bible. 2 Peter, you take one of those Bibles out of the chairs and it's found on page 1117. 2 Peter chapter 2. These won't be in your Notes are not up on the screen, so I want you to follow along with me in the Word of God. Peter says to the first century Christians, there are also, were also false prophets among the people. Speaking of the Old Testament days, there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you today. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Listen, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves, many will follow their unrestrained ways. And the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. So number four, application. If I ignore the Bible, it brings destruction in my life. It brings destruction in my life. If I hear it, as you're doing today, you're hearing lots of scripture, and I ignore it, it's bad news for me. And magnify that in our society if our society as a whole hears the word of God and yet ignores it. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. Go there with me. Luke chapter 6. Page 948. 949 is where we'll be. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus asks, he's teaching, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is a big crowd and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? People are calling him Lord. Okay, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I say? What he was saying was, you have no right to call me Lord if you don't do what I say. Lord means 
you have control of my life. I will show you why someone is like, what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. What's that person like? He hears my words, and he does what it says. He said, that person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. He said, that's what the person's life is like who hears my word and lives accordingly. He said, but what about the other guy who hears my word and ignores it? He said, that guy is one who hears and does not act. He says, he's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. No foundation. The destruction was great. The Bible is, to ignore it brings destruction because it's our foundation. Number five. Number five. What else does it mean in my life? His word in my heart is a vaccine against sin. It's a vaccine against sin. Psalm 119, verse 11. Boy, let me encourage you maybe this week to open up Psalm 119. It's right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And spend some time this week going through Psalm 119 because it's all about the word of God. Psalm verse 11 in that chapter says, I have treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. You know what? When you get into the Bible, you know one of the things it does? It cleans you up. It gives you new desires. It shows you what's wrong and it shows you what's right and it's a vaccine against sin. I remember seeing when I was a young boy, my friends, when I was in elementary school, you know, and a lot of times kids, as I did, get Bibles for Christmas. You know, mom and dad give you a Bible for Christmas. A lot of my friends, I'd say, let me see your Bible. Open up the Bible. Somewhere inside of somebody, maybe their mom or their dad, or maybe they had written it themselves, but, but they had written this little phrase that said, this book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. Hello, you might want to write that down. This book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. It's a vaccine. Number six, and this is so important to us today, it is our filter through which we discern right from wrong. It's our filter. You and I get so much information today, don't we? I mean, we're bombarded with it. About 20 years ago, I guess, when the Internet was relatively new, it was sometimes called, you heard this phrase, Internet was called, sometimes called the information highway. Get on the information highway. And 20 years ago, we had no idea how much information you could find on the Internet. And there's a lot, we're bombarded with it, news and articles and blogs and things that's true and things that are not true. The information highway. Why do they call it that? Because they knew then what we know now. Information, news, truth and fiction, it's all just a click away. Sometimes it's always telling us what to think. Sometimes it's trying to tell you and me what to believe. And the voices that tell us so many different things are often so very compelling. So how do you know what's right and what's wrong? I see Christians, boy, they get suckered in by things, and they'll post it there, and I'll look at it and I'll say, 
that can't be right. And you do a little checking, you realize that's a lie. That's not true. How do I know what's right and wrong? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Page 1078, Ephesians chapter 5. You know what's right and what's wrong because you, as a Christian, you can filter what the information you get through the Bible. I would encourage you to filter what you're hearing this morning through the Bible. It's what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Luke writes, the Bereans were more more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things, the things they were hearing from Paul, were true. They went back to their Old Testament and said, now Paul said the Bible says this, let's go see. And they'd look it up and they would find out he's exactly right. They filtered their information through the Bible. I encourage you to do that. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness. If you're a Christian here today, you've not always been a Christian. You've not always been a child of God, we heard last Sunday. You were once in darkness. I was as you were. If you were a believer in Jesus, there was a time before you were newborn, before you were given life, before the light switch was turned on, if you will, in your light, life. Isn't that right, John? You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Live, behave as though you got the light in your life. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. This is our filter to know what is right and what is wrong. And and what is the light, by the way, that exposes darkness? This is a familiar verse to you. You know this verse. It's up on the screen, Psalm 119, verse 105. Would you say it? Let's read it aloud together. Read it with me. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's where I'm going. I'm on the path. And God's word is a lamp for my feet One step at a time, it's a light for my path so I can see down the road, maybe not very far, but enough to know where I'm supposed to be headed. God's word is that light and that lamp. It's not just another book. It's the living, breathing, living, true word of God and it reveals him to us and it sets us on the right path. And here at Nagshead Church, for our guests, just so you know, you've already figured this out for the last 40 minutes, just so you know, we take a very high view of scripture and we do so without apology because we know how the truth that it presents sets us free. And if you're seeking truth and freedom in your life, let me, let me just, as strongly as I can, encourage you to take a look at the one who gave it, at Jesus. The one who lived it, the one who died to make it possible, the one who offers life freely. That's our encouragement to you this morning. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, not just another book. And Lord, uh, Lord, I pray that you would rebuke us this morning. For maybe the days in our lives, the weeks in our lives, and maybe even longer when we don't just sit down and open it up and spend time with you in this great book, in this word that you've given, that you've inspired. I pray that you'll help us to treat the Bible as holy, as unique, as your perfect will and direction for our lives. I pray that you will cause me and all of us who today, who claim Jesus as Savior, that we will take time to look into it and see it as a mirror, as James said, showing us the truth about who we are. And then become doers of the word. And when there are changes that need to happen in our lives, I pray, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, today that you will give us the conviction to act on faith and follow you. May it be our filter. May it be our foundation upon which we stand. And Lord, the winds of change are blowing today. The storms are coming upon us. And as Christians, we need to be able to stand firmly on the word of God and cut it straight, rightly understand it. It's a great treasure that you've given us. Thank you, Father, that you didn't just save us and then not give us anything to go by. Thank you that you placed your Holy Spirit in us and you gave us this written word that's perfect and true. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.